0: Entering into a period of contemplative practice, of meditation, of silence. We're entering into something we could perhaps consider as a journey, as a process of travelling through the landscape of heart and mind, of the landscape of our life, in fact. And it may be that having planned to come here quite some time ago, as in fact I think the retreat was booked sometime, fully booked in spring, so maybe one or two of you got a space in the last minute from cancellations, most of you made the decision to come some considerable period of time ago and can be useful just to reflect on and particularly in the first day or so as we enter to come back to the sense of what what moved us, what inspired us, what touched us in our life or has touched us, is touching us, that we're in contact with. There's a quality of, of inspiration and ardency which is essential for practice to be, well, to happen at all really, but certainly for it to be fruitful. We need a certain quality of our heart being engaged with what we're doing. To remember why we came we might say and I was just kind of reflecting on the different ways this can happen for us uh, for myself actually with Catherine and I a couple of nights ago we were just watching a, uh, a talk on a I think it was actually on YouTube of uh, a teacher from America Reggie Ray and just really enjoying a quality of very deep humanity and also profound wisdom that was being both embodied and articulated and uh, in the in the teaching and something about just having the opportunity to listen in this case through a you know an internet connection, but to sort of a respected and venerable elder in the Dharma tradition and uh, just feeling that sense of uplift of oh yes look what's possible and for us it was particularly sort of lovely because he's someone he's actually coming to be teaching here in a few days not at Guy House although if. If it works out as we have planned, he will be able to come and just have a little look around because he's not seen Guy House before, um, and he's teaching in Buckfast Abbey, a, uh, a centre just a few miles away from here and near where we live. And um, so, hopefully, we'll have a chance to have a bowl of soup with this venerable being, and uh, also just meet him at a at a personal level. And there's something about these ways and places, perhaps, that we have known in our lives, we've had meeting with with people, with others and uh, many in my own journey that have touched, that have inspired, that have given a sense of engagement to the heart, the, the wish to to explore, to see what is possible that in some ways may be being embodied or represented or reflected to us through another that we've had the good fortune to encounter. And the this natural, I think, calling or movement of the the human heart that seeks our possibility, our potential, that sense of what may yet be discovered in this life, that that the contact with those who embody or express that for us in some way or form, and that of course includes the very sangha and community we might be practicing with, is, is something really important. And, you know, the Buddha... In his own journey, as I think well known and familiar for perhaps many of you, the the sense of his own engagement with the spiritual quest. The journey came not so much out of the encounter with some inspiring being initially, although that's part of it, but also through the encounter with with aging, with sickness, with death, and, and seeing the inevitability, the unstoppability of these realities in our life and his encounter with the the aging, the elderly, the sick and the dying or in fact dead human being, followed by an encounter with a, a mendicant, a, a spiritual practitioner who is living in simplicity having devoted their life to exploration and discovery. Again just that contact with something or someone who uplifts, gives rise to a sense of possibility and his the contemplation that arose from that that he articulated why should i being myself subject to aging to sickness to death to sorrow why should i spend my life pursuing other things which are also subject to aging to sickness to death to sorrow and then that i think sorrow being the inevitable outcome of our connection with things that we might love but don't last forever. So it's not to say that's the only element of that, but that's a part of our relationship to things in the world, is that there will be loss, there will be parting, sorrow and grief will ensue. And he goes on to say, suppose, and it's interesting the way it's phrased, suppose I seek the unaging, unailing, deathless, sorrowless. Nibbana. That sense of suppose I seek, suppose I turn towards, suppose I look towards what might be possible there. That some sense of his way of being, the way he was touched and inspired by what happened in that encounter with the of aging, sickness, death, and also the sense of someone who's looking for what may be the key to the transformative understanding of these elements of life or the liberation in the midst of these conditions of life and so coming and practicing engaging here in retreat as you are as we are there's a way in which we're stepping into the same journey we're we're traveling the same landscape and what will be important in that is is something also of that that kind of attitude, that understanding that's both a wisdom but also a in in a way in action or an engagement with an understanding that comes from saying, Okay, why chase things that ultimately cannot fulfil me? What else might be possible here? And in practice. The application of that, the engagement with that is to to really look at where there may be elements of materialism in the way we practice. And this is something that everyone will encounter in different ways in different times, I think. There's a way, of course, in which coming on retreat, we're not it's not a sort of a, a worldly materialism. There's not a lot of sort of consumer goods on offer, the shop in the little um cupboard beside the uh Toilet near reception isn't you know it's not exactly a sort of an Adam's uh, sorry Aladdin's cave full of t- treasures and fun. Oh, it's sometimes interesting to see what's been donated and left that one might acquire for you know um, for free. I notice that urge on occasion while practicing here. Maybe you might have noticed. We can see that it's not about that. It's more the way we orient and practice, the way we. We kind of set it up from the beginning, actually. It's quite important in those terms. And it's, what is it to practice without a gaining mind? It's a phrase that His Holiness the Dalai Lama used, and I rather like it. That sense of a gaining mind, that that kind of, that urge to get something out of this for me. And so even as we engage in sitting and walking and standing and contemplative cultivation, of the wholesome, the development of that which is beneficial and fruitful in our hearts, our minds, in our practice, even as we're seeking for discovery, for understanding, for realisation, and the profound depths of realisation, of discovery that are possible for us in this practice. Of course these things are attractive to us. Of course these things... Move us and appropriately that they move us, that our heart responds, but to see what it is to do it without a gaining mind, without a sense, I want to get this, I need to get this, I should get this. And the whole way in which the sense of self arises and configures around the identity or the definition that it will in- be able to inhabit if something comes to pass by way of through. Fruition of fruitful practice development. To practice without a gaining mind is a great relief and release and an embodiment of the fundamentals of what any development will reveal, what our deepening makes more clear. what we're fundamentally concerned with in terms of discovery is not something we will gain. And in fact, in the Diamond Sutra, one of the teachings of you know the later northern school of the Mahayana, the Buddha is recorded as saying, now I gained absolutely nothing from full, complete, unexcelled enlightenment. I gained absolutely nothing From full, complete, unexcelled enlightenment. That is why it is. Full, complete, unexcelled enlightenment. Anything we gain we could lose. And yet the discovery of what we can't lose is not to gain something. And yet of course there's a a way in which we feel drawn, we maybe feel moved, we can notice the heart responding, and maybe the sense of curiosity or interest that 's all appropriate, and yet allow that to come to direct itself, allow that the energy that we we feel the you know the sap rising we could say it 's the wrong season for that, but it 's that quality in a spiritual sense of the the life force the vitality that 's interested in in this our human potential, in this which the Buddha pointed to, which great teachers, women and men of various traditions and all ages of human life and culture have have pointed to. And that, that the practice, although there may be the possibility of development of, we could say, the cultivation and the fruition of the wholesome and the beautiful, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, that it nonetheless is always something that needs to be engaged through the immediacy of where we are, not for what we get in the future, not for where we get to at some other point, but to practice in the here and the now, for the here and the now, for this living moment, this experience and the capacity that we have to know it, to know it intimately, to know it with clarity. This immediacy, this is all we have. And our life, and equally our practice, gives gives us no guarantee of any more than just this. And yet this is enough. This is enough. So in his teaching on practice and what serves us in those terms, now the Buddha speaks of this, this journey in the, in the Satipatthana Sutta, the, of his primary teachings on meditative practice and orientations. You know, This is the way or the, the way that leads in one direction towards the liberation of beings, towards freedom. to abide contemplating our experience. And the Buddha speaks of it in terms of four realms, which we'll, over the following days, the next uh, four days following, or three days from today, we'll, we'll pick up and look at each of these. But just naming them, so that sense the basic framework of looking at body, which includes our breathing and the process and the elements and the dynamics of the body, kaya, Kaya Nupassana to attend to, to be aware of, body, the feeling tones of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, and getting to know, getting to see, both the raw experience, but also the, the power and the significance of these. Vedana, Vedana Nupassana, to, to contemplate this, to attend to the state of the consciousness, the citta, the heart-mind, mind-states as we say, chitta nupassana to contemplate this, to give attention to this, and to likewise notice the, the contents of the consciousness, the citta, the heart-mind, the particular patterns and qualities that are playing out within this field of sensitive, responsive capacity, and the truths that are revealed and embodied within that process. Dhammas, dhamma nupassana, that contemplation, equally together with the previous three. This is where the territory the Buddha invites us to look at, to engage with, to say, this, this is the landscape of my journey, of this inner journey. This is the territory to come to know it well, to see what it has to reveal to us. And he goes on to speak about the way of this, to abide contemplating body, contemplating breath, contemplating feeling tones, mind states, dhammas, ardent, fully aware and mindful. It's, It's a phrase probably, I imagine, Many of you will have heard, read, contemplated many times, and, yet I, and I certainly have over so many years. Just sit, and just, just sit down and read those, those handful of words to abide contemplating these fields of human experience, ardent, fully aware and mindful. This is the, the essential practice and ardent. There's something about that word. You know that evoke something of ardor of what we love, and I think also ardor. It's it's connected with. I meant to look this up before I came, and I, I didn't actually get a chance it It's also, I think it has this golden quality to it, and uh, I don't know if it's the same root as in, um where the word the the um, I think is it the Greek or the Latin for for gold has got the same root in it. Arg, a r g. But anyway. I, I did what I did look up, and I should have been doing that one. It was, it was some um, some of the what's the word synonyms given for for ardent because it's not such it's not a word we use that frequently. We think of maybe an ardent flame or an ardent love, but the words that that, that came from the from that that just looking at that. Um, question it's like these sort of words passionate fervent zealous wholehearted eager and just listen to see how those words land for you you know ardent this is the buddha suggesting we practice with ardency fierce fiery flaming earnest sincere enthusiastic keen committed dedicated And it's that that real sense of giving fully and wholeheartedly to this, to practice with ardency. Fully aware. Having comprehension, not just of the particularities, but actually of the context, sampajanya. The Buddha talks about sati sampajanya. Sati is mindfulness. Fully aware and mindful. So fully aware is the the sampajanya, the the quality of comprehension that has has a certain intelligence to it that isn't just the noticing of what happens but the understanding of what's appropriate, what's useful in the context within which it is being revealed and also therefore what it implies, suggests or tells us about what's going on and about what is needed in any given moment and situation so we're invited to contemplate our experience, ardent fully aware and mindful and so that quality of heart is really there, it needs to be there that passionate, fervent, zealous wholehearted, eager fierce, fiery flaming, earnest, sincere enthusiastic, keen, committed dedicated, it's like whoa, okay I get you, I get you, I hear you know, that sounds like something very full in the heart that's being asked of us. In the way we engage with what we might sometimes call our mind, to be mindful, to be with comprehension, clearly comprehending and mindful, sati and sampajanya, but with heart. Atapi is the word that's translated as ardent. Atapi. Atapi. Sampajanya. Sati, these qualities. And of course, the Buddha didn't separate heart and mind in the way he spoke. These are all, um, in a way, contained within the sense of the citta. They're not one or the other. And so it's with a heart mind infused with ardency, oriented towards awareness, mindfulness, presence. That's the foundation for engaging. And the, in a way the, the next line goes on in this invitation. It's, Having put away grief and covetousness for the world. Having put away aversion and craving for the world. And there's a sense of just what it means to put something away. It's not saying put away the world. Not saying put away our relationships, our connections and the very life and the vitality and the richness of experience, which, of course, we're in contact with. It's not rejecting the world. It's putting away covetousness and grief, putting away aversion and craving for the world. Ah, okay. So when we're talking about renunciation and letting go, we're not actually so much abandoning the world. And this is important because it's not always understood, I don't think well. What we're putting away or what one might be say one is abandoning or letting go is the ways of relating to and engaging in the world that do not serve either our happiness and well-being or in fact the world itself and all the beings and life of the world. So to put away grief and covetousness for the world, that's a slightly sort of more... Well, it's an earlier translation. I think sometimes I find myself, I, I resonate more with the, just that sense of aversion and craving in relationship to the But having put that away, is what actually is pointing to is giving up or abandoning the idea that our worldly experience, what we're in contact with, what we're touched by in life, in terms of things, in terms of experiences, in terms of sight and sound and smell and taste and touch and particular conditions that may be there, of course, have their place, their importance, their value, their preciousness, but putting away the idea that these things in and of themselves give us the basis for fulfillment or satisfaction. Because when we have that belief, of course, we can't help but crave for them. And equally putting away the idea that these things, the world, we could say, it's the world that arises that these things have in themselves the capacity or provide the basis in and of themselves of suffering. But the difficult conditions are the basis of suffering. Putting that idea away. Because if we hold that idea, then of course we can't help but have aversion for those things of the world, which includes, of course, the inner world of experience, of thoughts and feelings and sensations. We can't help but have aversion for them. We can't help but be caught in the urge to push them away. And what we're invited or what is being pointed to in that putting away is the looking for the deeper roots of both fulfillment and suffering in our own heart and mind. In this very location, this sensitive, responsive human heart, mind, this human being, this is the place where we can find that fulfilment that we seek, where we can release ourselves from the bondage of suffering that we yearn to be released from. That sense of putting away. (sighs) Maybe we'll pick it up again later. It's not been... Not having to take it out and sort of put it in a trash bin it can be taken. So we might need to pick up some more of that engagement with the world at another time, of course. There is a place for that, of course. But for now, for this time, in this condition, these conditions that you've brought yourself into, it's time for practice, for putting that to one side. Saying, when it comes to us, as it will, of course it will. Because we're engaged in our life with things that we care about. For sure we are. It will come. But there's that sense of, okay, yes, I know that's to be attended to. It has its place. Not dishonouring, not rejecting, not making it into something without significance. But just saying, in the context of my deeper aspiration for now and for this time and in this place of practice, I put that down. And what I pick up is this invitation. To contemplate, to turn towards, to abide contemplating this experience of body, heart and mind, ardent, fully aware and mindful. And it's that putting down, consciously, without rejecting, but putting down our engagement with the world and our idea that fulfilment, is found through things and experiences in and of themselves. Or that somehow fulfillment could be blocked by things and experiences in and of themselves. Putting that down. What we're left with is this. It's the immediacy of life right here. And that turning to the immediacy was the the shift that the Buddha made himself when he realized, oh, having done all these practices, having practiced austerity, he realized, oh, there's something about just turning to the immediacy of experience. And that was the point at which... It's almost like that gathering into the singularity. Gathering into a singularity of focus of just this, just this moment, it kind of allows the the potency of this heart and mind, which is immense in fact, but is often scattered and diffuse. It allows it to become sufficiently focused and have the degree of gravitas that it can penetrate, just as light diffused might not show us very much at all, but when focused, we can with a clear beam. See what's happening. And really focused, as in a laser beam, light super concentrated actually penetrates the appearance or the apparent solidity of matter and apparently solid things. So, too, that gathering in, that collecting into the immediacy naturally, this potency becomes something penetrative. Allows us to drop deeper in, and not just in terms of deepening insight, but equally penetrating into the deeper potential for our heart's capacity to open in kindness, in compassion, in care and friendliness. And they come together, so that sense of the gathering, the focusing, the centering is essential and profoundly supportive. And just as the Buddha himself turned in this way, in his sharing, in his transmission, in his offering of what he discovered, as, a, as an expression of his, his understanding and his caring, there's a way in which we can be inspired just to, to contemplate that a human being could do this, could have done this. With no guidance, with no reference, it seemed, beyond that sense of possibility, and the courage and willingness to see what was possible. So when I come into the hall, I like to take a moment to just acknowledge that sense of gratitude and appreciation and also inspiration with the Buddha and something about that that may be something you also have a feeling of, that quality of uprightness and ardency, a sense of a passion for waking up, a passion for freedom. You know, it somehow sounds a little bit cool, all this Buddha stuff, and the Buddha, you know, I mean, he doesn't move, does he? So if we just think, "Oh, well, there's not a lot of feeling going on, but my sense is it was a deeply felt journey of his life, and a deeply felt journey beyond, not just to the journey of his awakening, to the, to the, the night of his awakening, but through the continuing unfoldment of his life and his journey beyond, that, a deeply felt life. And it's really this depth of our heart's engagement and our mind likewise in the immediacy and the actuality and the potentiality of our life right here, right now that opens up so much. And so I'd like to just uh, conclude these reflections with some of the Buddha's words when he spoke about why he gave teaching to those who were interested. He said, this holy life does not have gain, honor or renown. For its benefit, or the attainment of virtue or concentration for its benefit, or even knowledge and wisdom as its goal. But this unshakable deliverance of mind, the sure heart's release, this is the fulfillment of the holy life, its heartward and completion. This holy life does not have gain, honor or renown for its benefit or the attainment of virtue or concentration for its benefit or even knowledge and wisdom as its goal. But this unshakable deliverance of mind, the sure heart's release, this is the fulfillment of the holy life, its heartward and completion. So let's sit quietly together for a few minutes. So may we all abide contemplating this living experience right here body, heart and mind ardent aware mindful having put away craving and aversion for the world. That we may discover, that we may know the reason for the Buddha's teaching. It's hardwood.